listening to episode 240 of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. My name's Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we continue our look at season four of TNT's The Librarians. And as seems to be each week, we're looking at another snow or some sort of precipitation event tonight. <laughs> yeah. It's been like but, the uh, the year of of sad snows that somehow still cancel school. But, you know. I, I'm telling you, I haven't, you know, even thought about breaking my snowblower out i mean there just no, hasn't been anything, i haven't but, touched it except to uh you know move it in the garage to put other junk in there well i moved it so i could try to start my tractor because i i know i was cutting grass the last week of march last year so we'll see yeah i don't know about that this year but hey you know <laughs> never know but, right, you know, well, this is the first time i got off of school because it was windy well that's a good point (laughs) that's that's never happened before well i know one time we got off because a hurricane was expected and then never materialized so but yeah as you said we had some pretty severe winds the other day but uh, obviously compared to the rest of the northeast we did we did okay so yeah all right well as always want to remind you guys email sci-fi tv rewatch at gmail.com Go to the website, leave a voicemail if you want, record your own audio clip if you'd like to do it that way, tweet us at Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, and consider joining the Facebook group and join the discussions there. All right, so I'll go first with my tip of the week, and it's a series that I've mentioned before and a streaming service that I've mentioned before. Season two of Miss 2059 has dropped on Verizon Go 90, which, as I mentioned, is a free service. Now, did you ever sign up for Verizon I Go 90? I have it. No, not at all. Yeah. I mean, it's free. The, all they want is an email address, and they don't have a ton of content. But, for instance, they have both seasons of Sarah Connor Chronicles. They have all five seasons of Fringe. They have, I'm not sure how many seasons, but they have all of Babylon 5. Nope. They have... They have stuff out there i mean it's certainly worth checking out they have uh mobile apps you know if you want to go that way but miss 2059 is a show that i i discovered when season one came out about a year or so ago and and if you don't remember the premise is we begin with two sisters one's a beauty queen and the other's an astronaut that's about to travel to an intergalactic conference as Earth's representative, and they're trying to prevent a galactic war. Now, the sisters don't get along, you know, they're you know, in each other's shadow for whatever reason, but the beauty queen comes to see her sister off. Of course, she's wearing her gown and sash, but there's a problem with the technology. The beauty queen is sent into space instead. Of course, she has no training, no background. Seven to ten minute episodes. I think there's like ten episodes in each season. Anna Akana created the series, and she plays Victoria Young, uh, who's the beauty queen. She also writes most of the episodes. It's got a really light tone, clever writing. It's a fun show, but it, it, it's it is science fiction, so it, it's certainly worth checking out. And if you don't check that out, at least check out Verizon Go ninety. It's free. What else can I right. tell you? Now, I, do, I don't think it's available outside the United States, but I could be wrong on that. Okay. All right. What do you got? All right. Well, I'm going to kind of follow up on my pick of the week from last week. Last week, I was talking about the Frankenstein Chronicles, <clears throat> and I was saying it was pretty good. 
I didn't give it my highest marks. And I still don't, but it was really good. I didn't even see. Here's the thing: I didn't even realize there was a season two. <clears throat> I went to, uh, you know, so I searched Frankenstein Chronicle season two, and it's like on Netflix. I'm like, what? <laughs> so I went back and saw, hey, oh, there is actually two seasons on Netflix. So I was able to watch season two, which was, again, it was uh, really good. I mean, the show at the end of season one goes off in a very bizarre direction and uh you know so you know season two kind of followed up on that bizarreness but it was uh compelling i I just i don't think i'm necessarily crazy about i I don't know really why but like you know 19th century england dramas i just don't know i don't know i don't know why i just like i I don't know i can't explain it wasn't Well, well i remember you were into copper for a while yeah well i was for a little bit but then i was like not like i only watched like one season of copper and then i like was done with it you know so i don't know i don't know but uh that being said i don't want to say anything negative because it really is uh really is a good series and i enjoyed it and they left it so there still could be you know season three plus um you know the there's still bad guys out there the good guys still around spoiler alert sorry you know check it out after you watch jessica jones so because Jessica Jones oh. season two is coming out soon. Yes, it is. So. Like two days from All right. now. All right, cool. All right, well, let's uh, check in on some listener feedback. And we hear from Fred from the Netherlands, who sent us in an audio clip. <laughs> some really cool stuff this week as he talks about Librarians season one, episodes nine and ten. So let's take a listen. Hello, Dave and Wayne. This is Fred with his fourth Librarians flashback section. This time about Season 1, Episode 9 and 10, and on Season 1 as a whole. In my audio feedback on Episode 5-8, till eight, last week I ended with the phrase I just love Jenkins' Bowties collection. Sorry Wayne, I only watched Episode 9 and 10 and didn't spend my time watching 5 episodes of Season 2 or so. Instead, I squandered my time collecting screenshots of Jenkins' Bowties collection which gave me, by the way, a nice run through the whole season. It perhaps has to be noted that I'm a fan of bow ties myself, with a collection of about 85 bow ties and zero regular ties. First off, I want to report two coincidences that struck me quite a bit. Uh, on Twitter there was a tweet by Michelle Lavretta, showrunner of the series Killjoys and Lost Girl. It was about a craving for Velveeta cheese. Not that interesting, but she questioned who she was and included a gif of the end scene by Donald Sutherland of the 1978 classic movie Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Because I saw this gif just a few days before I watched watched The Librarians and the City of Light, I could make the connection. Mr. Finch is exactly moving and screaming as the possessed people in the 1978 film. I surely it's an homage to that film. Second coincidence, after watching episode 9, I listened to your podcast about that episode, which was posted on iTunes on August the 19th of 2016. You got some listener feedback by email and started reading it on the podcast. It was not mentioned from whom this email came. All right, uh, we did get one email in terms of listener feedback which was interesting, to say the least. So uh, 
Dear Mike and Dave and Wayne, I enjoy your podcasts a lot. Now, if you don't know out there, Mike is a co-worker of ours. Uh, I did the Continuum podcast with him. I podcast with him now. But the three of us cover childhood's end. I was listening to this nicely cycling to work and thought, hey, that guy did more or less the same as I did. I listened further and thought, what the heck? This is just too similar. And suddenly I realized it was my own email that I sent you in August 2016 with a request of doing another season of Clone Wars, the Orphan Black podcast Mike and Dave did for just the second season. It was actually just meant as an email with a question. Mike did answer me, by the way. I had never expected it was read on a podcast. And at that time, I didn't know anything about the librarians. Yeah, uh, I don't think seasons three and four are in the cards. So, and, and to be honest, you watch Orphan Black, right? Yeah, but I haven't seen the most recent season yet. Okay, and um, you know, I'm I'm losing interest. Uh, it, it, the show's gone down a path that that uh, I just it just a path that really bothers me. I'm not going to go into detail. So I, I don't know if I'm coming back for season five. To be quite honest. I, I always love your comments and insights, and since I know you already did season two, you might want to consider doing season three and four as well. I certainly love it. All the best from the Netherlands. Greetings, Fred. So, Fred, appreciate you taking the time to check in with us. Um, hopefully yeah. you'll join Wayne and I for Westworld. Hearing this was, of course, a very big disappointment for me. You can understand, because I'm the biggest Orphan Black fan. But on the other hand... The show is finished now, it's okay. This whole experience gave me a kind of, not a déjà vu, but a preview of what will happen when I arrive at season 4 of The Librarians and I'm listening to your podcast. I will encounter myself suddenly again. Okay, episode 9 and the City of Light. A story mainly about 87 inhabitants of a small village that got caught in a kind of a twilight zone by an electric experiment by Tesla. I like the love interest between Mabel and Stone. Stone even says, Mabel, I really need you to trust me. Whereas trust is a big issue for Stone himself. I wonder whether we will see Mabel back. The librarians could save the, couldn't save the inhabitants of the old village. And even says, Eve, Eve even says at the end, sometimes you just lose. I thought Ezekiel was a bit out of character by getting angry about the body snatchers that just... Um, and uh, that just now and uh, then steal a few hours of the lives of the present-day inhabitants of the village. Who is the biggest thief of them all, hmm? Best quote, Jenkins, UFOs d don't exist. Eve, Minotaurs, haunted houses, Santa Claus, yes. But UFOs, don't be silly. Episode 10, And the Loom of Fate. This episode is mainly about alternative timelines with alternative uh, librarians. I found the episode a bit confusing and I really have to listen to your podcast and watch a second time. But it was nice to see Ezekiel, Cassie and Stone as the real librarians and Flynn not as the librarian. We see the river of time and the loom of history. The fabric was cut by Adelacue because he wants to go back to the time where he was Lancelot Dulac. And his world was perfect and full of magic. It was nice to see that stuff from previous episodes was needed for this one. The storybook, the Christmas affair, the Tesla device 
and the threat. Okay, season one as a whole. I liked it a lot. Of course, some episodes better than others. The stories are nice, sometimes a bit overdone, but that's also partly the charm of it. I really get in, got investi- invested in the characters, and fortunately, Eve didn't die. I wonder whether we will get separate s- stories, since the librarians all got their own small clipping books. I actually don't think so, because that would deprive us viewers of their nice interactions. Dave and Wayne, thank you for this very nice and new series to watch. Now I quickly have to watch seven episodes of NBC's Timeless before the season two starts in seven days. Last question, did you ever do a Westworld podcast? Couldn't find it. Perhaps a new series for me to watch. All the best. Greetings, Fred from the Netherlands. All right, dude, you have to love listening to a podcast, read feedback and think to yourself, that sounds familiar, <laughs> and then it turns yeah. out to be you. So, <laughs> you know, that, that feedback that Fred sent us uh, a, a while back, that, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, you know, and as, as uh, you know, I was telling you off, uh, off air, Fred joined the Facebook group. So check out his screen caps of Jenkins' bow tie collection. It's really cool, and obviously we know from Matt Smith, bow ties are cool. Bow right, ties now, are cool. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you know, we've been talking about uh, not wanting to spoil certain reveals for for Fred as, uh, about characters past, but obviously now he mentions that he knows uh, Duloc is actually Lancelot, a.k.a. Duloc. Right. Uh, right. Fred, there's still some more stuff to put together. Yep. but uh, Our lips but then, are sealed, though. Yeah, but then, then some shows that he mentions, you know, re- re- regarding like Orphan Black – and you know, you and I love the show. Yeah. We love the actors, but I just don't know that it's in the cards for us to podcast season one or or really any of it. I mean, maybe. But you but bring up you Westworld, and Mike did Fred. Orphan Black, didn't you? Well, we just did season two, like uh, you know, in between continuum, figuring out you know just for something right. to do. But hey, uh, you never say never, though, right? Never say never, but Fred mentions Westworld. That's yeah. something that yeah, you and I have talked about that. We, we uh, definitely time threw, time. threw Westworld. I don't know why we didn't go with Westworld because we well, were going to do ti- it. Well, the timing has to be right. And, yeah. and obviously right now, you know, we're, we're dealing with the overlap from Travelers and the librarians and and you know it'll it'll work itself out and you know we never did finish season two of dollhouse but yeah i think it's uh, probably the next thing we need to do right we need to finish that up right and then of course timeless coming back uh we we love timeless so uh can't wait for that but but anyway uh fred i thought you were you, you were very diplomatic about your comments toward toward wayne getting on your case about not moving fast enough so uh you know, but now you got time to get to season two after you get caught up on Timeless. There you go. All right. <laughs> um, now, the one thing I did want to mention, and, and actually Den of Geek posted a story that Travelers had been renewed for season three, and I'd seen it on the Travelers Reddit site and looked at the source, and just something didn't qu- seem quite right to me, so I started investigating. And there's really no word anywhere from anybody that counts, whether it's, uh, I think it's Chorus now is the, it used to be Shaw Media 
owned Showcase Network, but Showcase Network hasn't made any announcements. The official Traveler's Twitter hasn't made any announcements. Brad Wright hasn't made any announcements. So yeah, I'm so. not sure where this website's getting its information. Well, it, you know, like, Geek, man, they're they're sketchy. They'll hire well, anyone, well, you De- know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, well, Den of Geek was just, you know, basically... Yeah. Printing their story Act based doesn't on make uh, it right though, Dave. Uh, uh, no, it does not. So, I think we'll probably be in good shape for Traveler season three, but just not yet. So. Yeah, I, I, you know, I like. I'm not even really worried. You know, like I feel no, like no. it's, it's going to happen. Unlike, like you know, Dollhouse. What we said, like every you know for the after season one, everyone's on like pins and needles. Like, is it? Is it? Is it not? And then. You know the same thing with with season two, you know, and then and then they they didn't, and uh, you know, uh, you know, we always talk about Sarah Connor Chronicles, <clears throat> another show cut down as prime, and, and you know, again, that was like a show that at the end of it there was a lot of like really uncertainty, but I don't really feel that uncertainty with Travelers, and I, maybe that is maybe I have my head in the clouds, uh, but uh, I just feel like uh, season three is going to happen. Well, we don't know whether season five is going to happen yet for the librarians. That's another show that that we always, you know, wait with fingers crossed. But, you know, we're we're still finishing up season four. We've got episode nine to talk about tonight. The librarians and a town called Feud, which was written by Tom McRae. And this is his third librarians episode. He wrote uh, season four's And the Bleeding Crown and season three's Self-Fulfilling Prophecy directed by Valerie Weiss, and this is her first foray into the librarian's world and it aired January 17th, 2018. So the Bleeding Dude, Crown, that, that was that was the, the Darrington Dare one, right? Yes, it was. Mm-hmm. That you didn't like so much. I believe you gave it a C+. Yep. This one, you know, it's funny because this one, I, I liked it, but my first viewing, I thought, oh, it's a solid B, but there's a lot more there that I guess uh, on further review, I sound like an NFL ref now, <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, that there's a lot here, and, and I really like this one. Um, you know, oh, what, what about you, first impression? I did not really like it. I thought it started off great. You know, I like the creepy, spooky stuff. Um, and so I thought this was awesome. I'm like, wow, they're going hardcore with the, like the horror genre stuff. It was great. I just, the ending, it just seemed to just fall flat on its face at the end. And it got too like preachy and, and and again, please everyone, like just my opinion, because I, you know, look, I, I know I've listened to podcasts before. We've talked about this, where like, you know, like with Doctor Who, where there's a podcast, like an episode that you and I would say that was like amazing, this is great, like like maybe top ten, and then you listen to the podcast and the guy's like, ah, this episode sucked, and you're just like, that guy's a freaking moron. <laughs> like, how could you? Know? So, you know, I, I so I want to kind of temper that to say there was a lot going for it especially early on the first two-thirds i would say and then it just hit a point where the the plot kind of and, and, and now you say that the guy who wrote this also wrote the bleeding crown i think i have the same criticism of this as i had of that which it just got too goofy and out of nowhere at the end 
And, uh, you know, I just, I didn't like that, you know, like I, I, so it was, it was actually both episodes. It was the ending I really have an issue with. And and this one's definitely the same thing. Okay. Well, you know, one, one thing I forgot to put in my notes, but we have a fairly prominent guest star in Nora Dunn from SNL. Right. I didn't realize she was on Um, for five years. No, I didn't either. She was on from 85. I went and looked it up. She was on from 85 to 90. Yeah. But, uh, you know, she was great as the uh, curator of the museum. But, you know, I mean, we do have, as you allude to, on the one hand, a basic run-of-the-mill ghost story. And and I thought the ghosts were fairly creepy. The creep factor was was pretty cool. Stone mentions 13 verified ghost sightings in Chicago alone. And I'm thinking, like, I wonder if that's actually true or not. I mean, obviously, all these ghost sighting shows are are on you know science channel and you know whatever or if you are if you again for my supernatural fans the ghost facers yeah all right there you go (laughs) but you know i I like the fact that we're, we're comparing the town of feud and the brothers to what's really taking place at the library with the conflict over whether we go solo or whether we go multi libraries right and, you know, I, I think that, that really plays, uh, you know, really is at the core of this episode. I, I, I love the fact, and you mentioned Preachy, and maybe this is one of the lines that you're referring to, but, you know, Eve having problems with using war to sell tickets, because as she says, she's experienced the horrors of war. I mean, she may not use that phrase, but you know that's what she means. And right. and, and again, you said there was a certain silliness, particularly to the ending. And, and of course, we understand this is librarians. Sure. And, and you know, sure. a little bit of silly is okay. But we don't often see the ultra serious. But I thought it was well placed. Right. Well, see, know, that's the thing. Eve. I think I don't think it was supposed to be silly, but it was. You know, I think okay. it was meant to be very serious, but again, just to me, it seemed a little ludicrous. I know that might be pushing with that word, but that's the word that comes to mind. I, I love the comparison of the Love Day brothers set against Ezekiel and Jake because. Sure. You know, the Love Day brothers fight against each other in the Civil War. They supposedly kill each other. And, of course, English teacher, I am drawn immediately to Antigone and Eteocles and Polynesis who kill each other in battle. Very good. Which which was essentially a civil war, albeit circumstances were, were a bit different. But on the one hand, I think we can also view this episode as a cautionary tale for the library and the competing librarians. And of course we get the, the reversal at the end. And, and I'm not sure if that's what you're talking about, or if you're talking about, well, that's you know, part on, of on the, st- or, that I was kind of the, the last straw was that little okay. bit at the end. <laughs> okay. Cause I was wondering, I assumed you were probably talking about on the steps of the museum with yes. all the, yeah, the townspeople and the ghosts. And, right. and yeah, I, I, I get that. The other thing, and, Maybe this is again me trying too hard, but but I kind of saw Eve as as a metaphor for Abraham Lincoln trying to bring the two sides together and and prevent the library from tearing itself apart the way the United States did in 1861. Yeah, that's good. I like that. Well, then it reminds me like the the scene in here when before on the steps of the museum when Nora Dunn like 
pushes Abraham Lincoln basically off the steps. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, there were some really, really choice scenes, particularly when uh, Jones and Stone are talking to that conspiracy nut at his trailer, you know, <laughs> yeah. with, with the see, again, reenactment. Right. Look, this is what I'm talking about. These are like, I'm not, it wasn't, I'm not, I don't want to say that, that I didn't like the whole thing because that was great. Like that with the, the conspiracy guy, that was, that was awesome. Well, right. But what was even more awesome was the camera shows there's a guy putting yeah, right. on a golf course right. in the background. Yeah. So, cl- so clearly they're doing the reenactment. I don't know if they've got a fairway closed down or, or what the deal is, but they showed that scene a couple of times. But, you know, we, we get the cold open, Civil War battle scene. And my first thought is that we're actually in the past. Yeah. And I'm thinking, that's cool. And then, of course, the guy's cell phone goes off. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, all right, maybe time travel. But no, then we realize right away they're reenactors except one of them has the glowy eyes and eerie smoke surrounding his body and that that creep factor of the brothers are rising and like all right this is going to be cool and 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 i know you agree that so far so good yeah yeah absolutely well so i'm I'm gonna put this out here because my uncle does uh civil war reenacting um so my great great grandfather his great grandfather uh fought in the union for the 83rd pennsylvania so he he does you know he's like a he was actually a colonel in the army and he, he i think he's a an officer in his uh reenactment group and we've gone and seen him a couple of times he does it. it is really really cool because they actually you know they camp out at the battleground they they have just the canvas tents over top of them and they sleep on the ground they eat hardtack and all that stuff and everything so um it's actually pretty, pretty. I know, like some people like kind of like to make fun of reenactors, but it is like I actually think it's a pretty cool thing, you know. Yeah, and, and you know, we've talked about the special effects in the librarians, but, you know, more often than not with Cassandra and her hand waving thing. But I really thought it was a, a a nice touch about how realistic they tried to make it because, as you said about the tents, they had a, a good number of tents set up in a, in a pretty realistic-looking camp setting. Yep. So, all right. Now, we basically got the team split up. Cassandra stays behind with Jenkins while Eve and the guys go investigate this ghost sighting that the Clippings book sends. And I think you said you're not watching S.H.I.E.L.D. anymore, right? Nope. Nope. I'm still watching so, but oh, I, you are? Okay. I, I haven't seen the last one. I didn't watch last week's yet. Uh, okay. Well, this doesn't give a lot away, but I mean, yeah, you know, Cassandra staying behind with Jenkins reminds me of uh, Daisy staying behind with, uh, well, I can't tell you who because you don't know this person yet. But, uh, and I start to think, like, all right, why, you know, I understand why Daisy stays behind, but I, I wasn't sure at first why Cassandra. And even before we get to that, Jenkins, I really love this transition he's making because he is now mortal. And he and Eve return from the grocery store, and he's amazed at what it entailed. And I love his line, satanic mills of mass consumerism. (laughs) Right. Well, and also how he's like, he doesn't know why he bought all these things, like, you know, how many people come home from this store? And you're like, why? I mean, I don't because I'm a pretty disciplined shopper. But 
I'm just saying there might be other people in this house who are not so much. We come home with like ridiculous things, and I'm like, "Why did you buy that?" <laughs> I had a coupon. Yeah, uh, or you know, there's actually just I don't know if you've ever been like to the the Wise Market out um, off of Marysville Road, right by Mount no, Hebron, I- kind of between Mount Hebron and there. Um, but I think that place is the most well set up store I've ever been in. It's like this funnel for buying. Like you just come in, and I just. I just want to buy everything. <laughs> like, like you step in, like the first thing you see are like all the cupcakes and donuts and everything. It's just like, oh, I will, I want that. <laughs> you know, it's just like, uh, so I, every time, like, I, whenever I see a manager, I just I feel like I want to walk up to him and say, "Listen, whoever designed this store and does like you know the setup is a freaking genius, man." Because every time I come in here, like, I just want to buy everything. Yeah. And and, I mean, that's what Jenkins says. He understands that it was the advertising that led him to purchase all of this. And and he says he's never shopped before because he didn't need to eat. Not not that he couldn't eat because he certainly did. And I guess he derived a certain amount of enjoyment from it, but he didn't need to. But then Eve asks him why he didn't just use the magic door. And I love his answer that now that he's mortal, eventually he'll retire uh, from the library and he won't have access to it that yeah. he'll just be a quote unquote normal person and i found that very interesting yeah yeah that, that he's thinking of his kind of you know like his game plan for when he retires and that uh includes leaving the library which yeah is like- and that yeah, I mean, somebody will have to take over as caretaker eventually, you know, certainly now that he is mortal. But we learn the true purpose of Cassandra staying behind, and, and that's that the two of them researched the solo versus multi-librarian theory and her setting up the high T. Again, on, on the surface, now that he's mortal, now that he needs to eat, she's doing something for him, but... Uh, Cassandra's sly, but once she really opens up, because Cassandra's anything if not honest. Right. And, you know, it it really is heartfelt when she says, look, I want to be a librarian. I love being a librarian, but if it's only one, I'm going to lose, which it's kind of sad that she sees herself that way. Well, right. Well, because she says, you know, I was always the kid who was picked last. Right. So yeah, it's this kind of inferiority complex that like, honestly, like that's school can do that. Right. Like school can be rough. Like that's why there's not a lot of people who come out of school thinking, man, I would really love to go back to school. I'd really like to go back and do middle school again. How about that, Dave? Right. Yeah. Like no one says point. that ever because it's just traumatic. Probably even for the popular people who were the bullies is traumatic too. So, you know, it's just like yeah. It's just yeah, it was yeah. sad. Yeah, and I mean she brings up Daring to Dare's prediction and he mentions that well there is an archive of all the possessions of the previous librarians. But, of course, he can't remember – well, he, he remembers where it is, but he goes and, and it's empty. And then he's like, oh, that's right. I remember. And, and you know, they're, they're starting to look for clues as to where it might be. Yeah, but and, you know he didn't remember? He didn't remember that the freaking bunch of letters are just in his desk. Well, like, yeah. how does that detail escape you, Jenkins? Really? 
So well, that's like the uh, Edgar Allan Poe and the purloined letter. If you want to hide something, just hide it in plain sight. Sure. But regardless, flat out asks her why she's opposed to the idea of only one. And then, and then of course, that's when, when the truth comes out. And I love, I mean, it's so Jenkins, but because sometimes he's so matter of fact, I don't think it's right to say he's gruff. I mean, once in a while, but he just says, I like having you all around. And I think he certainly sees the benefit of three librarians. And we've said it before, the library chose them. Right. So, yeah, yeah, we've, and we've had this discussion and, and I, I still hold to that this whole concept that these three would turn on each other is ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Though, but like you said, though, we are seeing because they are having a petty argument over which of them should be the actual librarian, right? Well, well, they are having. I mean, it is petty, but it is a crisis. And you know, to just to shift to the town of Feud, where Eve and Stone and Jones are investigating the ghost sighting. I mean, you got brother versus brother, and it's a civil war on multiple fronts. And, of course, Stone is adamant that he should be the librarian. Right. and He'd be my choice. Well, I do. (laughs) I I know what you're saying, and I'm not saying I wouldn't say Jake Stone should be. But as Jenkins says, they're all librarians. But then Eve says to the guys, well, what makes you think I wouldn't choose Cassandra? Yeah. And it's almost as if it was an afterthought for the two of them. Yeah, look, I know he's Ezekiel Jones, but in what universe does he really think he would be the one chosen? <laughs> well, I, I, we talked about this. I, I keep saying we've talked about this before, but um, but you know, the thing is that I, you know, like the three of them complement each other and so if you take away the other two you don't really get you don't get a flynn carson like flynn is kind of like the complete package right sure you know the other three really are i think i've compared them to voltron before you know like they all come together to form one unified whole and like how do they not see that, right? How do they, especially when they're arguing over who's good at what and everything? Well, as as you're having that discussion, don't you realize that you all have different talents you bring to the table, and that together you always get it done by working together, right? And that no, no single one of you is any better than any others. It's really the, the the parts add up to the whole, right? But I guess the problem is the tethering ceremony looms in, in the near future. Right. I there and, is the rub, right? And Eve has to figure out who's going to tether with her. And, of course, at this point, the guys are going solo and Cassie is going multi. So, you know, it is a big deal. And I think this episode does a good job of – you know, really examining that that crisis that each of them is having. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's they all love their job so much. Jones would probably be a bit loath to admit how much he loves it, but I, I do think he does. But 
I guess that's one of the things I really like about this uh, this episode. So, you know, we get to the town and, of course, we get the obligatory history lesson from Stone, which, which is cool. You know, they start at the museum. I wouldn't have figured Ezekiel Jones for a gift shop guy. Yeah. <laughs> but he immediately goes in and buys Cassandra, a I would. But maybe exactly. Ezekiel. And he, all-American what did it say? All American boy or something? I forget uh, what it know, says. Hats, yeah. You know, but uh, and, and I'm thinking, and of course he's Australian in the show and in real life, so, so that was pretty cool. But you know, they they get in there, and Nora Dunn's character is is giving a presentation about the town's history, and of course they all pose as reporters. Not very well, I might add. But <laughs> from the new Annexian and the. The NX yeah. advertiser. <laughs> yeah. As they're wont to do, all right, we got to figure out what is the artifact that is causing this event. And you know, the lockets are giving off signals. And they, of course, have to figure out whether or not putting them together is going to create a problem. And, and of course, that's kind of the, the heart of this episode, if you will, that putting those two lockets together or tearing them apart and i love she says at the end we'd have nothing if we let truth get in the way <laughs> i'm thinking yeah. what right and i don't know that she's one of these people that would say look if i have to cut a few corners so people learn the bigger picture then i'm willing to do that right. I, I i can't quite get a grip on what she's all about you know is it just for the money and the control well, I don't think – I think she is upfront when she says she's just trying to keep this town afloat and that she's doing what she has to do in order for this town to be prosperous. Um, and so I believe – I don't think it's out of any kind of really necessarily selfish aims. I, I think she just really wants – she's really like you – know, uh, very civic-minded. Okay, and, and that's certainly understandable for a small town. I mean, there's probably hundreds, if not thousands, of small towns across the United States that depend on something along these lines. Well, yeah, well, especially a, a you talk about Civil War and how many places are within driving distance of us right now that are, you know, by and large, I mean, Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, first and foremost, which, you know, would had that battle not occurred there, half that town wouldn't exist, right? Yeah, sure. And, uh, you know, Antietam, I mean, just all the places around here, all the Civil War battlefields in this area. Um, and then, you know, you go down to Williamsburg that has like the the mother load of Yorktown and Jamestown and uh, Williamsburg all right there next to each other. You know, that's like, that. that's like the, the war ground zero yeah well you know where i live and i'm 15 20 minutes from gettysburg right and you're probably what a half hour maybe yeah well i mean you know because i i grew up there you know and so yeah sure um we, you know, we always took you know we had a field trip not every year but you know every couple of years we would take a field trip up to gettysburg and um you know so and 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 there is that that part of it which which Jacob objects to and actually Eve objects to as well is making you know war uh an amusement because 
you know, like for, I mean, I have pictures of like me and my classmates, like, you know, climbing on the cannons and posing for pictures and everything like, or, you know, climbing through devil's den. It was fun. It was like a jungle gym. It's like, you know, when I was a kid, I didn't, I didn't quite get it. You know, like there was a battle here. It was really just a place that was fun. You could climb on a bunch of stuff, you know. Oh, of course. And then that's normal. And you, and we also understand Eve's approach to it as well. Certainly having fought in battle. And, and while Stone hasn't served in the military, he's certainly a historian. And I think has a pretty good grasp on the realities yeah. of it. But as you said, and I think I'm coming over to your your reasoning, is that she's just really trying to keep this town afloat, and this is really the only means to do that. So, um, you know, agree yeah. or disagree with her, her methods, I, I think we certainly understand it. But yeah, well, I, you've never read the uh, any of the Thursday Next books, have you? By Jasper no. Ford? Okay. No. Can't recommend these books highly enough. Like Jasper Ford, F-F-O-R-D-E. Um, go out right now, read The Air Affair. That's the, the first book. But in it, um, I can't remember which book, but there's a, 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 a businessman, a very wealthy man, who was in World War One, who created this park called Somme World. And it's supposed to recreate the Battle of the Somme. But the idea is is it makes it, it's such, like, it, it's it's so realistically done that it really imparts the absolute horror of war. You know, it's not like this kids climb on things. It's like you, you get in a, in a foxhole, enough like a trench, and you actually undergo shelling and everything, and uh, you come to understand how absolutely terrible it is. Um, now, of course, it's complete fiction, but still, I, when I was saw this lady and this whole argument about, you know, kind of making war marketable, um, I, I couldn't help but think about the uh, Psalm world from the, the Thursday next books. Well, well, right. And we get to the end of the episode and, and obviously the librarians take a, a totally different approach. And, and as in the American civil war, we have brother fighting brother, sister fighting sister, mother, you know, families fighting each other. And that's what's taking place at the library at this point. So, uh, you know, we, certainly understand where where this plot is coming from but the other thing that uh i find interesting is when eve goes to track down the three guys that reported the ghost in the first place and i love how she you know i'm just kidding you guys when she pulls her colonel of nato which obviously is true but they think the ghosts are an attempt by the confederate reenactors to change the outcome of the battle of fugue and they seem to feel that it's real. And, and that line that, well, history is how it's perceived. And, and of course, Stone's like, okay, so you fake soldiers are going to fake a fight, uh, fight a fake battle that'll have a fake historical outcome. Okay, got it. <laughs> yeah. But, but they're serious. And we know to what it is they're referring, you know, that whole idea of, you know, the uh, history, history is we have. By the victors, right? Exactly. And they seem to be holding on to that, which, you know, in this day and age, you might argue there, you know, with the, the media and, and how much information is out there, it's much more difficult to do that now, but yeah. still. Yeah, but here's where the first crack 
happens for me <laughs> because I'm listening to these guys. I'm like, um, no, you're reenactors. So, okay. So let's say the South wins the battle in the reenactment. It's not like they're going to go back and change the history books. And all of a sudden, like, you know, like, like, no, <laughs> like, <laughs> that's not a thing at all. Okay. Like I, I get like the victors rewriting history. Okay. All right. That's a thing, but not the reenactors of the victors. Like, no. Okay. So, so that's, that's where it, for me, it started to like, it started to, I'm not going to say fall apart, but just there, there's just little, little fissures, little fissures in the plot that started to bother me. Okay. Uh, sort of like the cracks in the library, you know, because Jones and Stone are still arguing over who's better. And Eve finally has had enough. Girls, quit it. You're both pretty. Yeah. yeah that was and funny. then, and then Jones, well, I'm so much. And then I, I think so he realized, <laughs> well, I think he cuts himself off. Yeah. But they, they want her to pick between them. And this is how far this is going. Now, of course, this is Colonel Eve Baird, and the fact that these two guys are going to put her on the spot is not going to phase her. She'll, yeah. of course, as she says, what makes you think I wouldn't choose Cassandra? I don't think that would bother her to be put in the middle, but I think she certainly realizes how far we've gotten with this problem. And that, yeah. as I said earlier, we are in crisis mode here. Right, and the thing, and even the thing that, started concern me when I, even the first time I saw this was like, it doesn't seem like Eve really has an answer. Like usually you can rely on Eve, like knowing what to do, right. Or have giving direction or being able to lead. And she just does not really seem, even she doesn't know what to do here. Right. Well, that's true. Uh, well, yeah. And then of course they get thrown in jail and right. uh, Jones can't, break out because he doesn't have anything so yeah to like drop with. okay so so the next crack drop ceilings in the jail really like come on well, <laughs> all right so so they get out and they get to the 10th <laughs> annual feud festival the two halves of the locket are going to be reunited for the first time since the civil war she's got the two reenactors playing the brothers and as soon as she puts them together, the, the brothers' ghosts appear on stage. And I'm wondering why she hasn't seen them previously. I, I guess just wrong place, wrong time, whatever. I mean, you know, there's nothing special about those three guys that, that see the the one ghost. Yeah, uh, just another crack. I mean, plot point that, uh, yeah. I, yeah, she's she's adamant that there's no ghosts. And it's like, um, they seem to kind of be like, everywhere you know but yeah that's what when i first saw it i thought that she was totally in on it because especially the one where the they're in the museum and the whole troop of soldiers like marches through there and she's just in the other room she comes out and they're like okay you you totally saw that right and she's like what are you talking about at that point i'm like ah she's making this happen somehow but nope well, yeah, and you wonder, okay, fine, you didn't see them because you were in the other room, but you couldn't hear them. I mean, as as yeah, Eve like says, loud, yeah. she recognizes that sound of boots on the ground. So I, I'm not sure they come in, and, and and I get when they all possess the townspeople, and now the townspeople are squaring off with each other. And 
and Eve realizes that they need to break the locket, but uh, you know the two sides are squaring off. Stone and Jones are, are fighting over who gets to break the locket, and then, and then they're taken over by ghosts. And, and I, I like the fact that then we do see that scene that we saw earlier back in the museum of, of the two of them right. holding holding a gun on each other. Right, which was when it was good and creepy, and we got the creepy lady in black showing up, pointing to the video screen where a, a video mysteriously comes up, and it's Jake and Ezekiel pointing guns at each other. That was awesome. That was yeah. great. You know, like they should have just kept rolling with that. But instead, they have this showdown. Okay, let's take a step back. None of these guns are loaded. It's not a crisis. There's nothing bad is going to happen here. They're pointing a bunch of guns with no bullets in them at each other. No one's going to get hurt, even if they pull the triggers. It's 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 not a big deal, right? But it's supposed to be this moment of intensity, right? But it's just it's just not. No, and that's it's, true. It's too silly. It's just you know, it's like it goes. It's like the, with the bleeding. I, 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 I'm sorry. I, it's, it's just like the same problem I have with the bleeding crown. It just it goes too far. It goes way out into wackyville. That it like what it's supposed to be a very intense moment. I'm like, this, th- those those guns aren't. This is not. There's, there's nothing's going to happen. The guns aren't loaded. It's. No one's going to get hurt. This, this is not an intense moment. It's almost uh, like kind of comical. I'm afraid to say this because I know you're going to follow it up with something. They're shooting blanks. And <laughs> I, go ahead. That's what she said. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that is true that there, there really is no danger because they're not firing real bullets so despite the fact that that it is a tense scene despite the fact that it does turn out that they both fired but deliberately missed each other despite the fact that we learn that those brothers in fact did not kill each other on the field of battle and in fact reconciled and why did everybody pronounce it reconciled i don't know did you notice that? I did notice that. I think Nora Dunn, I, it might have been just Nora Dunn the one time she no, said. No, Jones did it too. Did he? Okay. I, yeah. I definitely noticed Nora Dunn said reconcile. I'm like, I don't even know how to write that in my notes. So I just, it's like, if Dave brings it up, we'll talk about it. But otherwise, I'm just going to let it go. Yeah. But then, again, I, I like the fact that it comes from Jones. Because otherwise, I think it would be a little too sappy, maybe the kind of thing you're talking about. The truth that two brothers loved each other so much they reconciled in the middle of battle. That's an even better story, and it's filled with hope. I could totally see Cassandra saying that, Eve saying that, even Stone. The fact that it comes from Jones, I think it does go back to something we've talked about, not every week, but this maturity that he seems to be gaining as the series goes on so is that you know because it's really what changes their perspective that now i don't want to fight my brother for this job right there's no reason we can't both do it right which i again i thought was a little heavy-handed but yes i agree with you that 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 is um it, it it linked up well with the ongoing conflict that we have here 
you know, and yeah, and brought about this realization that, yeah, like, what are we doing? This is crazy. You know, there's, why, why are we fighting over this when we should be, we're, we're, we're buddies, we're co-librarians, you know, that we shouldn't be fighting against each other for it. So uh, that, right. that, I, I got that, I'll give it for that. That was good. Right. But then we, we get to the end there and, and we learn about the one Confederate general that turned his back on the Confederate cause because, as it turns out, he was married to a black woman. Where did yeah. that come from in the whole uh, context of from the, out the episode? freaking left field is where it came out of. Yeah. Like, really? Uh, he's married to a black woman. He's going to go fight for the Confederacy. Like, come on. Well, it, regardless of that, it doesn't have anything to do with the story that's being told. Like you said, it just came out of left field. It's like, okay, whatever. So, yeah, well, I think they're, they're trying to throw an ironic twist on it, but again, it was just, it was just silly, you know? Like, well, I, that, that, uh, it's just. Well, it's like you're trying too hard. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's it. You're just, you're trying too hard. You're, 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 you're beating us over the head with it, you know? And like, so, like the little kid, for example, which was great. Like, at first, like the kid with the, the glowing eyes and the bell not saying anything, that's creepy as anything, man. It was awesome. And then all of a sudden, like the kid, the eyes go away and he's just a kid saying, I'm sorry I lost it, Dad. I'm sorry. It's just like, oh, you just you just destroyed the, the, the creepiest thing, the, the most effectively creepy thing you had in the show. You just you just blew it. You know, like you, yeah. you had, you probably had like three or four, well, maybe at least two, maybe three more creepy scenes of the kid just showing up, holding the bell or staying in the corner or something like that. So I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we get back to the library. Uh, they've discovered that group of letters that explains why those two brothers ended up ruining things for the library. And it was because of their selfishness and the problems it caused and, Jenkins and Cassandra now think there should only be one, and Eve Stone and Jones have taken the yeah, the other line so, of thinking, and that line, well, where do we go from here? And I'm thinking, like, all right, is it a foregone conclusion that selfish behavior is going to rear its ugly head from these three? I don't see that that's necessarily going to happen here. I think these three have had their eyes opened to the reality of what it is they're facing. Yeah. And I mean, until somebody is forced to choose just one. Now, look, they're all librarians. One of them is going to be tethered. So there's still that fight. Right. But it doesn't have to be a fight. You know, it could be as easy as who draws the, the short straw. Sure. You know, like yeah. if you come down to it and you can't decide between the three of them, um, you know, I just, ah, just the end, <laughs> this, the whole thing where like the, the, the people who everyone totally switches opinion on it. It was just, it was just, I, I, I didn't like it. Didn't like it. But and the thing with like Jenkins who before was, had called, you know, Darrington Dare, like paranoid, um, now he agrees with him just because he found a, a couple old letters from people who lived ages ago. Like, come on. Like, did you really see that many 
connections between those two brothers and and the three, mind you, not two, but three people who are currently librarians. Yeah. No, so, I agree with you. I mean, talking to you, my grade has gone down. I'm sorry. During dude, the I course didn't of this to. I feel, no, I feel I, bad. I, no, <laughs> you shouldn't. You you made some good points. So so what what letter grade are you going to give it? Uh, I think I'm getting you know because it started off so strongly. Um, and like I said, the first thirty minutes, twenty five minutes of it were were really really good. I'm going to give it a B minus. Okay. All right. I'm going with just a straight B. Okay. So, but uh, and to be quite honest, I really hadn't considered the fact that they weren't using live ammunition. I, I honestly, until you just said it a few minutes ago, it just didn't hit me that there are no consequences to their actions right. here. So while it's a moving scene in and of itself. It's not that moving. Yeah, right. So. That's on, on the surface, it seems like it's intense and that there's some something bad is going to happen. But you realize, well, wait, they're, just, they're, they're reenactors, so no one has real bullets at all. So, like, yeah, it's like, so it's really not as intense as it would appear. But there's still, like, I, I, I'm not going to deny that the image of Jacob and Ezekiel pointing guns at each other's faces, I mean, loaded or not, that's intense, right? There's no question about that. Um, but it's just a little less so when you realize that it wasn't really them. Well, right, 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 right. Yeah, it wasn't really them. True. So, all right. Anything else you want to bring up about this one? Oh, well, I, I, I did kind of like the, uh, the the paintings. Did you notice the paintings turning? Oh, I did, to face each other. Yeah, and then they actually did earlier. Um, when, well, they, they, they were facing away, and um, earlier in the episode, they, they, the paintings turned to face each other as well then, um, which at the time we took to be in anger, which I thought was – it was definitely, again – it's it's very creepy. It's a good when you when you're when you're making a like a horror type episode. That's a good creepy element to put in there. Um, I was just thinking like they could always just flip flop the paintings. Yeah, <laughs> put the one on the one side, the one on the other side. Then they're the poor paintings don't have to keep you know turning all the time. It's got to be awkward for a painting to do. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, you want to leave it there. He, uh, yeah, yeah, I think so. Okay. All right. Well, we want to thank you guys for joining us tonight. We'd love to hear what you think about the librarians. Anything else going on in genre TV? Encourage you to join the Facebook group. Share your thoughts with the Sci Fi TV Rewatch community. If you're already a member, spread the word. Emails go to Sci Fi TV Rewatch at gmail.com voicemails can go via the speak pipe tab on the website we'll be back next time to talk about season four episode 10 of the librarians titled the librarians and some dude named jeff <laughs> but until then so dave i want you to keep a uh, an eye on your mail in the next couple of days because i'm going to send you some very special vouchers for sh- free shawarma you're welcome